This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. From Flint to Philadelphia, from Hollywell to Hollywood. Rob Ryan Red is a brand new Wrexham AFC fans podcast by Nathan Salt and Richard Fay. Now, maybe you're well versed in Wrexham history, or maybe you're new here. So here's a few things to jog your memory. Here is Vose. Great dribble by Don Vose. And still, Vose. He gets us another. Oh, what a goal! Don Vose. One of the goals of the season. He has toyed with the defence there. And that is remarkable. The ball boys getting involved. Connor Jennings, the captain, Wrexham's top goal scorer. 13 for the season. 14. Wrexham lead. It's Wrexham 1. Chester now. It's McDonough for Wrexham. Still Jerry McDonough. McDonough round the keeper! Wrexham! Wrexham! Me to the lead, ladies! If yesterday was a Black Friday, but today is a Red Saturday! Hello, welcome to this special edition of Rob Brian Red, the Wrexham AFC podcast. Dagnan was D-Day for Dean. Wrexham have parted company with Dean Keats. He was out of contract anyway at the end of the season. They've decided not to keep him on at the club. Carl Darlington and Andy Davis also set to leave Wrexham. The end of an era, the end of a season. I mean, Naif, the news came 6pm. No real surprise. We got a bit of a tip-off just before the news dropped, but you can't really have any real complaints, can you, when when it, when it dropped the, the news? I, I think Dean knew when he gave his interview at Dagenham. You could just see he looked crushed. I mean, obviously, we missed out on the playoffs. Utter devastation. I mean, I, I wanted to go and lie down in a dark room and just wait for it all to pass over, even though we've been through it many times. But I think Dean knew, you know, this, this statement and this decision has felt weeks in the making and it did just look like he wanted to get some final words in before he went and you know he gave some stinging remarks I felt about the way it was running off the pitch not necessarily going at the chairman Robin Ryan but more so you know the the uncertainty around his contract which was up you know I think it's important that we differentiate that he's not been sacked he's simply been relieved of his duties and, and the club are looking to move into a different direction but in the end there was just a growing sense of inevitability that any result other than promotion, I think he was he was going. I think he was, for want of a better phrase, a dead man walking, really. Yeah, and there was even a suggestion, wasn't there, that we'd, we'd both heard that even if Dean had taken us up, there was still maybe a possibility that he wouldn't be in charge next season, no matter what happened. I mean, it's, it's a difficult one, particularly when there's a change of ownership halfway through the season. And, you know, that's the mitigation which I've seen lots of fans sort of argue. I mean, the the thing is, Dean hasn't really been in charge of the club which has been taken over yet because we've not had any chance to, to actually implement the type of changes which we want to on the pitch and off, and off the pitch. You know, the mm. CEO hasn't started. Fleur will be doing that soon. And, of course, we've not had any playing budget. We couldn't buy players in the transfer window. So we just had to feed off scraps from the Football League and National League North and South 
in the in the months afterwards. So mm. Dean's really had had a tough hand, and I'll always put on record that in terms of actually stabilizing a sinking ship, Dean Keats is perhaps second to none. I think he's really good at what he does. Gets the dead wood out of the club and manages to find a way to to make a club steady again. Okay, it didn't quite happen to the same degree the second time around to replace Brian Hughes. But if you look at that change from last season to this, Dean Keats has done a fantastic job. So to play maybe devil's advocate, there is that argument to say, well, maybe give him a bigger budget when he can attract the players he wanted. Because there was the suggestion in January that Wrexham could assign some notable names from, from the Football League, but agent fees, etc. were just, quite frankly, taking the mick out of the club. And Dean put his foot down and said, OK, we might have financial backing now, but we're not going to just give you what you want. And I guess that's... The, the one concern you can you can understand from fans going forward is that who do we get in next? What's going to happen next? Because you need someone who's coming in for the right reasons and who is still protecting the interests of the club. And I guess maybe in the end, that was Dean's downfall, that he's perhaps a bit too safe and he didn't take the same risks that fans wanted to see. And like I said, he did a good job at steadying the sinking ship, but that Dagnum game, we set up to not lose and... It, there's so many permutations against it. It was inexcusable performance, but it wasn't the first of that. It wasn't a one-off. To- um, totally, totally. I mean, I said on on the pod with James, who who, who was on last week, that I I, I knew how it was going to go. Rich, I've seen this movie before. You know, he's been here in two spells now, Dean. I knew that there was so much pressure on us. We were talking about pressure on Stockport, pressure on Torquay. Ultimately, the pressure was on us in that final day. We had the position, and it was ours to keep. And I knew that he was he was going to set up not to lose the game and, and just try and, and nick a goal. He put Horsfield in there who hadn't played for us since I think it was February. So, you know, came in ice cold, really. Hooked at half time. So what that did for his confidence, I don't know. He put Paul Rutherford on in, in the hope of some fresh legs. And within minutes, he, he's he's pulled a Luke Young at Newport and, and we're down to 10. But, but to touch on Dean there, you know, he made it very clear in his interview on BT Sport and his interview afterwards with um, BBC Radio Wales and, and the club that, you know, the budget he's been working with, the trust's budget that he's been working with, we've obviously seen the club accounts come out this week, you know, uh, uh, we've kind of lost 740,000 from tw- uh, the 2018-19 accounts to the 2019-20 accounts. Obviously, a large part of that is is through lack of turnstile money, lack of crowds. Um, but yeah, Dean, Dean made it a point that the top 15 teams in the league, you know, if you say, if you count Dover, say 24 teams, he said, we're not in that top 15 in terms of budget. Now there's obviously a lot of speculation on what our budget actually is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously we can't go too much into the financials, but the sort of the ballpark figure, which I've heard is that Dean Keats effectively had half the budget of Brian Hughes, but on Mm. paper, you know, he's made twice, twice the side at least because when he, took over from Brian Hughes, we were one place above the relegation zone yeah. on goal difference. And because, like you said, the mitigation, not just because of the loss of ticket revenues, you know, having fans come in, you, the club shop doesn't get the same footfall as it, as it used to either. And this is before the takeover actually happened. And I know Humphrey was, was keen to point that out in his, his latest column as well, that these figures might look alarming, but this is before mm. any cash injection came in. But the club just had to gear up and, and you know, we were in financial... We were in a bit of a spiral, weren't we, going down? And it really was looking concerning, and the playing budget was obviously affected by that as well. And the the fact of the matter is that Dean Keats has effectively had half as much money as Brian Hughes had, but you know 
you've got to give him credit for what he did achieve on such a such a small budget. Yeah, I think you you said it there. You know, one point, uh, well, not even point. Sorry, we were just one place above the relegation zone when he came in under Brian Hughes, and, and you know the toxicity that surrounded that. Not just Brian Hughes' appointment, but when he left, there was obviously a lot of mixed emotions when Dean came back. There was still plenty of fans that felt betrayed when he left. We we were fourth when he left, um, and we obviously ended up didn't didn't make the playoffs. And and when he left for for Walsall, but you think when he left, we were fourth. We'd had twenty a record was it a club record twenty clean sheets. I think we'd lost something like six games up until that point, and we were arguably one of the form teams in the division had every chance that season of of going up it was left to Andy Davis and we we collapsed he comes back in replaces Brian Hughes on on what is a sinking ship at that point and he's been a firefighter keeps us up and you know he's he's took charge of what is it now something like 70 71 games the Dagenham one because the Dover one got scrapped um earlier in the season you look at it, and I've got it totaled as he's taken 100 points in the league from a possible 192. So you'd probably say that's about right, you know, 50%. He's almost basically taken half of the points. And for as much as we say, you know, he's a he's a defence-first manager, I mean, we've scored 91, 91 goals in those, in those 71 league games, I've got it as, and, and conceded 68. So, you know, one and a half, one point five six 1.56 points a game, Rich. It, it's really hard because... There has been progress, but there's also that underlying sense that it, it just didn't feel like we 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 were going up under him. I don't know. Maybe that's you know emotional and and no, it's still very raw. The Dagenham, but I feel like that's spot on. Do you not think? Yeah, absolutely spot on. I and you know I wanted to play devil's advocate and I wanted to sort of suggest that we could make that genuine push for promotion this season. But best case scenario was that. As soon as you saw the team news, you knew it was Horsfield playing. Okay, there was mitigation again because Harris wasn't fit. And I think if Harris was, then you can play him as the anchor in midfield and you can un- unleash Young and Davis in the attacking roles. And the reason they've been so good is because they've usually got that anchor behind them. That's why they play well, because they've got the attacking freedom, which we just didn't have at Dagnum. And of course, then you say, well, what about injuries and fitness going to the playoffs? Because we really are just one key player dropping out from being a total shell of ourselves, which proved it dagged them at the weekend. But the best case scenario, particularly, you know, as the game went on, was we were going to either lose or perhaps draw that game and we needed results elsewhere to go our favour, which, okay, it's just about sort of Machiavellian, you know, it's just the result is justified by the means. Like, the means, sorry, is justified by the result. Like, however you get there, it doesn't matter really because you're in the playoffs. But then... To go up, we would have had to pull the rabbit out of the hat three times. Okay, maybe you can do it in the Eliminator. You need a hell of a lot of luck to somehow do it in the semi-final. But then by the time you get to the final, it would have just been so improbable that we would have done it three times when we took so few points against the playoff teams throughout the season. I think I calculated that out of the possible 36 points we could have got from the playoff teams, we took nine this season. I just There was no way we were going to go up. I know you can say, well, you're in, you've got to be in the mix, hmm. but we would have been the beaten boys and everyone would have said, I want Rexma. It would have been yeah, a home game and, because and, we yeah. just offered th- absolutely nothing this season and, and we never did uh, it in any of the big games, really. I know people uh, say the Sutton game, but that's just, it's proven to be such an anomaly. Hmm. And you might say, well, we're in other games where we, it was narrow and it was tight and Keats obviously was playing to his strengths of keeping it tight and hoping you can nick something from a set piece. But ultimately... Whether you like it or not, yes, we're a football club first and foremost, 
But Rob and Ryan, when they want to market Wrexham globally as well, you've got to make it an entertaining spectacle. You've got to make it something that is marketable. How are you going to get North American fans on board, fans who are used to seeing these sort of gluts of scoring in in all of their sports, and then you come and watch Wrexham, where it's anti-football at times, and there's no entertainment or any sort of redeeming qualities of the style of play that we have. And next season... Wrexham fans will all say, we just need to get up. I don't care how we do it. I don't care what type of football we play. But then part of me worries that maybe they just want to have something a bit more easy on the eye as well. We we can't go for a box office manager, Rich. That That's my fear. My, my fear is that, that we get someone who who is great for the documentary. The cynic in me looks at this and thinks... Lost at Dagenham, absolute heartbreak. You know, players, that, that picture on BT Sport, Jordan Davis sat on the turf, just head buried in his shirt in tears. Pearson marching off with Keats, you know, not having a row as such, but very stern words were being said. And, and you look at it and you think, ending the documentary with manager getting sacked, you know, whether we see any, any footage of that, was there a meeting, was it a phone call? I mean, I'm sure that there will be an element of that in in the documentary when it comes out, and and that will be one of the most fascinating parts. That you know, the dressing room after the Dagenham game, absolute pure devastation. When you look at it, I think you just need to get somebody. If if we're really serious about going up, we need to go against what we've done recently. Don't go and get a former player. Don't you know? Get someone who can well, come in from well, the that's outside. That's what worries me. In for a way. me, no, for me. The one thing, I know when Keats came back, people were saying, well, he was the safe option, he was the cheap option. The finances suggest that maybe that was the case, that it needed to be someone who was a bit more pragmatic and someone who could, like we said, steady the ship and keep things safe for a while. And I can see why Dean came back. You know, that's water under the bridge now. It's not even worth discussing really too much because it happened. He's gone again now. But I remember hearing at the time that someone, I think, I mean, I I'm not sure how how legit it was, but I remember hearing Ian Holloway's name was in the mix and that some people were saying, well, he has no experience of, of what we need. Yes, he might have been entertaining, he might have been good value for getting us a few retweets on Twitter and stuff, but at the end of the day, and we've seen it, what's happened subsequently at Grimsby as well, you need someone who knows this league. You need someone who's got a track record of promotion. Keats had that in his playing career. You know, He's someone who earned promotion with Walsall. He earned promotion with Peterborough. He got promoted with Hull as well. I think he got six promotions in his playing career, but he's not had one as a manager. We need someone who just knows, end of the day, how to get out of this horrible league because it's so difficult to do and it really is the, the most difficult league to get promoted from in all of English football, I think, and all of oh, British honest, football honest. subsequently because there's just so much competition for place. And yeah. particularly next season, you've got Grimsby and Southend coming down, mm. two teams who have decent setups. I think it's still Phil sure. Brown I, who's in charge of Southend. I, you know? I, I mean, in personally, having, having seen Southend when they were under Sol Campbell, I mean, that is a club in, in rapid decline. And I know that if, if we... If we get any fans on next season of opposition teams, Southend fans will tell you that they are in complete disarray. But don't get me wrong, it, it it doesn't get any easier. The longer you're down here, the more it feels we're trapped and the more teams pass us by. You know, this season we could have a situation where Sutton go up and, you know, I'm hopeful that somebody like Stockport go up, somebody with a bit of cash that, that we, we can move on from. We need it to be Stockport because you can I see the so. nucleus of that Torquay squad or maybe the Hartlepool squad getting snapped up a bit or, mm. or, or, yeah, fa- they can... or falling apart a bit. I mean, yeah. Easy Link's 
you can see Carlisle or Barrow taking quite a bulk mm. of that Hartlepool squad. And similarly, you can see some of the, the Torquay guys leaving as well. But Stockport but Rich, for us, Rich, we I, need them to go up. I, I, before I go through, I, I just wanted to run by Dean's team when he came back and we played Harrogate and we drew 1-1. Before that, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the pod, probably not because Ian Holloway won't come up very often on a Rob Bryan red uh, pod, but he once took me to task Ian Holloway when he was QPR manager and he didn't like the question I'd asked him and so that would be a, a fun little reunion if, if Ian Holloway turned up at the race course. But no, what my point was going to be, Rich, is that Wrexham, we played in, in his first game of October 2019, these are the these are the players that, that he had and, and so it just shows you the kind of level of turnover that we've had. So Christian Dibble was in goal. We had Jazzy Barnum Bob and uh, James Jennings as our fullbacks, both now since left. We had Pearson and Lawler as our centre backs. Pearson obviously still there, the only survivor there. Um midfield we had Luke Young, Luke Summerfield, who I feel like has been a big miss. Adam Barton we had in there. We had Rutherford, Bobby Grant, and Jason Oswell as a front three. So, you know, Dean has refreshed what was, uh, uh, really, I mean, you look at that team, there's, there's not many there that you w- wish to have kept, I wouldn't have thought. No, not at all. I mean, Luke Summerfield, like you said, I think we just missed, I'm not even saying he's the answer, but someone in that I, I would agree. shape. I would someone agree. just to yeah. control the midfield because we were so hollow and fragile without Jay Harris this season and he really did just anchor everything, like I said. You know what, you know what at Dagenham... Can... Yeah, go on. Yeah, uh, Dag, uh, Dagenham, what, what got me when I was watching it, just, you know, as much as I've got great, great respect for Pearson and, and we're so much better when he's there, but I looked at the some of the others there and, and heads dropped. You know, it was almost like we knew the results elsewhere weren't going for us. We got that late goal that was well offside and, and shouldn't have counted. Dagenham were all over us and it looked like Dagenham were the team that had something to play for that was the most disappointing aspect of it it wasn't well, just that we didn't make it it's that we we looked like we were the team ready for the beach yeah and I guess maybe Dagenham had the extra incentive of having that 1,400 home crowd the fact they've been on a fantastic run you know they were the form team of the division going into the match they wanted to maybe give Daryl McMahon some support heading into the summer give the players because you know, they have got themselves a, a nucleus of a, of a decent squad there, particularly with Balanta and McCallum up top. Those two could really become a strike force which fires a team out of this division. So it was just really difficult. And I understand that there was sympathy. And you've got to say it was unfair that we didn't ever get a chance to play in front of a home crowd this season. I know there was the slim chance of a fifth-place finish that, that that could have happened. And we didn't have things going our way at all. And I understand that. And that's why it's difficult to be too overly harsh on Keats because a lot of issues for Dean weren't his problem but the Dagnum result was all on him ultimately because it was his team selection it was negative tactics and I can say sympathetically you know Dean maybe you do deserve more time I can play that devil's advocate and say I understand why because you've got this track record of stable anchors recruiting good players in the summer I have no doubt that this summer Dean Keats would have got a, a really good squad together again but I don't think he'd get them playing exactly the way we want them to. And that's the, I think ultimately all, the problem. All, that That is the problem because tactically I, I've been saying on and off the mic all season that I feel like we don't have a clear identity of how we want to play. Maybe that's personnel, but you would like to think that in the space of two years, I know we've had the pandemic and whatnot, but you would like to think there's a clear philosophy 
in how we play and I just don't feel like we have that I feel like a lot of games pass the midfield by I've, I know exactly. he's gone with the wing backs but I feel like we don't it's have the, that yeah, identity the, cl- the cliche for me Nath is just why is he not gone back why did he not go back to the 4-3-3 that worked for him when he was playing himself that the balance midfield for me was there with young Harrison Davis to to almost be that Tolly Harris Keats, which we used to have, and the, and maybe in Clark in there. I think we did have the personnel at times, but then he didn't have the, quite the wide men. He would have to put Hall Johnson as a right winger, which I probably would have liked to have seen at some stage. Then maybe you're unbalanced on the other side. But yeah, what really frustrated me this season, throughout the season, is just the fact that tactically, I just didn't know what I was watching. I didn't know what we were trying to do. And you just, you know, obviously, after a defeat, you can be a bit bit harsher than usually would be because you're forgetting how we blitzed Halifax in that game, which was one of the highlights of the season. And, you know, we did have some decent attacking displays at times. But they always felt like freak results when we attacked well and when we tore a team apart. There always seemed to be some sort of reason why the opposition had collapsed so easily or whatsoever. I but- think as well. I think as well that, you know, one of our big problems this season, Rich, you'd have seen firsthand set pieces were such a problem and for me that is down to coaching and drilling players and of course there's there's personal responsibility you know I think of the one late on uh Torquay or you know I think as well the players have to take responsibility Dean think... pointed out the Dagenham result that not the not the one just gone but the one at home where we were 2-0 up and collapsed Torquay in the last minute you know that would have been a point one of the points. worst for me was altering them at home when we lost and they scored from a corner and we got just undone by a set piece again against Ultra. There's so many games this season. Of course, maybe I'm being a bit rose-tinted and forgetting games where we've not deserved a result and got one, but there seems to have been a lot more games where we've been in control of our own destiny and thrown it away, and it's just been sloppy defending, and we keep on saying how blessed we are to have that defensive line, but we've just not utilised it well. We keep saying, like, I know when I was doing commentary with Wayne Phillips, and I think Andy Morell said as well that they both saw Rob Lainter as the best keeper in the division which I agree with, but mm, he just didn't have that, that protection in front of him. And for a manager who, like we said, is synonymous with being called a defensive manager, I just thought it was almost as if this season we were like, well, if we play three at the back, the defence will take care of itself. But it still think, needed that fine-tuning I, I, I think, and I think, I think in that I think in that first spell, the the defense, I think you know our, our peak defensive lineup was... A, a younger Pearson, he's still very, very good and effective, but a younger Pearson and Manny Smith. And we, we just haven't been able to get back to, to that level of quality since. You know, Theo Vassell, I thought, played admirably away at Dagenham. You know, he put his body on the line. Kelleher, to be honest, he's had a good season, but he was poor. And not just because of the own goal, but he, he lacked the authority. And, you know, given he's been a captain, I, I thought he was he was a real disappointment in, in, in a game where you wanted your leaders to really step up with, with no Harris there, you know, it shouldn't have been down to, to some of the younger players to really grab it by the scruff of the neck. You know, you look at, you look at like a Ponticelli up front, you know, these players are, are not going to drag the rest of them over the line and, and, and Pearson ultimately can't do it on his own, you know? So I think the, there's a lot of responsibility that falls on the players. I think of big moments in games where, as much as Dean has to accept the responsibility and shoulder that responsibility, players have let him down. I mean, it was the Notts County game where you were there, Rich, commentating, and I think Dior Angus runs through. It's a three-on-two or, or whatever it was, and, and he picks pulls the, the cut back, yeah. and he picks out no one. And and for me, how can you blame Dean for, for that? You know, that that's a that's a player mistake. Uh, and there's a way at Aldershot when there was a, a dibble mistake in goal. 
you know, there's Dean can be blamed for sure for for the tactics, and if we feel they were negative, I'm sure he would, if if he ever gave his his side of the story, would would defend how they played, and whether there was you know a Carl Darlington influence to to how we played, given you know given his influence as a coach, but but for me there's there's also an element that players let him down in big moments, and unfortunately for Dean that you know those moments we could have been. You know, second or third, we could have been fourth or fifth. We could have been even lower. You know, the other players have pulled him out. Jordan Davis at Hattrick at Halifax. But there are a lot of moments I think where he's been really badly let down. Yeah, and even in Dagenham, you know, Dagenham away, where where we already had it level, and then I was upon Chelly broke through and goal and failed to square it to Sean Pearson, who was at the back post, and it just looked that like that was the moment that you know maybe we can salvage something and get the win when we needed, but the ball just didn't come in. Yeah, the, the decision-making has been awful at times, but then you also say then, well, on the, on the flip side, Dean did bring those players in, so can we, you know, no, I'm with bail them out I'm again? And yeah, that's what's so maybe tricky about the discussions, the fact that you could argue it either way. And I am very much of the, the, the philosophy that you've got to hammer home the fact that Dean Keats is a Wrexham great of the last decade. Can't deny that. He's the man who played on with a dislocated shoulder. He's the man who won mm. the FA Trophy. He was the man who ultimately cost Kevin Wilkin his job because when Wilkin brought Keats off against North Ferriby, we completely yeah. lost yeah. control of the game. And Dean Keats, as a player, for me, is right up there. And particularly from when I've been watching Wrexham, He's the man who, you know, I just idolise. And as a person as well, I, I was the person, when he first got appointed to Rex Marja, I was the first person to interview him. And we walked out to the, the race course together. And, you know, he just loves this club. And one of the first things Dean asked me to do when he took over the first time was to make a video to show the players of what Wrexham means to them. He wanted mm. there to be a real mentality shift. He said that, you know, Wrexham used to be, even for our level, it used to just be the easy paycheck where players would turn up, say, Oh, it's a great history. Win the fans over initially, and then that's it. Dean really wanted that mentality shift, and he was really close with the fans. And he always spoke about when we, you know, when fans rallied to to pay those wages, and how the club was saved by the fans. He really did have that connection with us, ultimately. But in the end, as a manager, it's just been a different story. And yes, there was ifs and buts. And that first time when the momentum was going, and he left. <sighs> Yeah, he was going to his childhood club, but it's Wrexham as well. I know you're choosing Walsall over Wrexham, and that's still sour. And coming back to this unfinished business, sadly, that's the end of the line. And I can see him coming back in the future and doing, you know, what Morel and Mark Crichton have done this season, doing sort of co-coms and being a good media figure around sure, the club in a few sure. years' time. But yeah, I could see him coming back, maybe in the National League North, doing a decent job. But mm. I just want to have it's the good memories. It's whether he's got the hunger for it, though. You know, whether he needs a break now, he needs a bit of a time away. I think just to reset himself it's been a grueling season and he's you know he's managed in a pandemic and all that kind of thing but you you mentioned it rich i mean keith spent for what five years at the club he made more than 160 appearances was captain you know was a leader played you know he was a, played a, a key role in 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 the 98 point squad that that we've spoke about many times on the pod and you know when he sort of retired in in 2015 and, and went into coaching it was a real void in our midfield. And what I was going to say, actually, I was thinking about Keats's debut goal. I watched it back recently for uh, just another project I was on, and, and he scores a thunderous volley from about 25, 30 yards against Kidderminster. It's like four games into his spell after he joined from Wickham. So if you haven't seen that, I'll, I'll put it out on, on the on the Twitter account. It's at Rob Ryan Red. It's, it's, it's a fabulous goal. Rich, what I was going to say was you conducted his last interview at the race course. That must be right. 
Yeah, this, his first as Marge at the race course and his last as Marge at the race course, which is, yeah, God, that's quite poignant. And how, isn't how it? did he and how, how did he seem? How did he, his demeanour seem? I know we'd won the game, Kingsland. Did he did he seem chipper? Did he seem like you know the end? I mean, with hindsight now, did he did he seem upbeat or did he seem worn down? How did he seem to you? I feel like he's always felt like his maybe particularly this season, that his back's been against the wall and he's maybe had his hands tied behind his back as well because he's been really limited with what he can do. And there's, you know, ever since the takeover happened, there's been speculation about my, what might happen. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it transpires that Dean's known for a few weeks now that no matter what happens, you're, you're leaving at the end of the season, really, because those conversations haven't been had. And I know when the bonus scheme was announced, it, it was with the mitigation that at the end of the season, we'll discuss players' contracts and you could say, well, that should be the same for management, but there needs to be clarity ultimately. And Dean, you know, he's professional. He stayed professional throughout his time, both as a player and as a manager. And if he wasn't staying, I'd like to think the club said, would say, we're not planning on keeping you, but can you give it your all to the end of the season? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt his professionalism to stay on like that at all. But when I spoke to him, you know, he was very much of the, he still believed and he still had that belief because I still think he he really did back himself that he could be that man. Maybe he was just he was just trying to to keep the faith inside him alive. But deep down, he might might have known that it wasn't going to be this season. And yeah, so, I, so I, where I do we? I think he'll hold his hold his hands up and say, you know, this Wrexham side wasn't maybe as as good as we thought it was. I think mm, that we did have some special results that lifted us. I think we were a very mediocre side this season with a few special 100%. talents in there. Yeah, I think Dean will you. hold his hands up and I'll be interested to see if that's maybe why he thinks that he could only play a certain way because he just didn't think the squad had the capabilities to play attacking football and expansive style which can carve opposition apart. So, but, yeah, so, so where do we go where do we where do we go from here, Rich? You know, from my side of it I look at it and go, Fleur starts officially on, on the first of June, so choose but after when this comes out on, on Monday, Bank Holiday Monday, it'll be Tuesday when she starts and what I want to know is her remit. You know, what 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 will she be required to look after? And if Sean Harvey, who is, there's a lot of chatter about him behind the scenes, what is his role? If he if he's in a consultancy role, Peter Moore again, like what kind of influence do these men and all these figures wield over the owners? Because I don't think you know Rob and Ryan have said themselves that they're not they're not experienced football owners or co-chairman, as they like to be called. So they'll have a lot of people helping them with decisions. We need to know who's going to be in charge of the recruitment process. We know it was Dixie McNeil last time who, who picked out Dean. And, you know, at that time, there was rumours that Gary Waddup was in the frame. There was rumours that Key Nomad's boss, Andy Morrison, was in the frame. And, you know, now I want to see, I, I, like I've already said, I don't want to see a box office type manager come in there's a lot of talk that maybe someone like Chris Coleman or someone like that. I obviously made I've the joke on Twitter. Chris Coleman and Mark Hughes already. I made the joke. I made the joke about Antonio Conte screaming in front of the paddock when Mark Carrington nods one in against Wayne. Dan's free. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we obviously would get love somebody like that. I wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, whether they. I mean, it would be slightly surprising. I don't know many North American coaches, but. You just hope that it's someone who really is an experienced... Uh, yeah, Brad Bobley, probably more like knowing Wrexham. Um, you just hope it's somebody that, that really knows the division inside out. You know, a John Askey-type figure. A kind of... Uh, someone, it, a, a John Coleman, someone like that. You know, who's been there, done it. John Stills. Just someone who, who knows the league. is not going to be flashy. 
can just recruit well, has the recruitment level of, say, Kevin Wilkin, who I thought was sublime at recruitment, tactically, again, left a lot to be desired. But for me, it's as much about, I, I'm desperate to know, maybe that's just the journalist in me, but I'd love a bit of clarity on what are people's roles behind the scenes now? What does the new Wrexham look like? Because at the minute, there's a lot, there's, there's, if I, there's arguably too much chatter and too many mixed messages that there's not that clarity on who really answers to who. And for exactly. me, that's what, I, that's what I want. Exactly. And ultimately, someone's had to have made the decision that Dean's not remaining this summer. And that won't be Rob and Ryan. And, you know, they might have input and say, this is what we want. And we want the club to be playing this sort of football. We want it to be more exciting. Obviously, they've been watching the games. I know Rob was up at half four LA time. He was mic'd up as well. So expect to see him in the dock watching that Dagenham uh, defeat. Oh, sorry, draw, wasn't it, in the end? But it felt like a defeat. The Yeah, there's so much uncertainty, isn't there? I mean, Fleur's definitely coming in she's a real coup for the club and the fact that she's leaving Burton shows how much she believes in the project and that's encouraging enough you know the fact that she has left a, a club which really felt like the family to her and she wanted that new challenge which she's, she's relishing and she said herself that she sees those similarities between what we can build and, and what Burton have done hopefully we can even go one step further than them and though it seems a, a long way away yet but she does seem to be really hammering home the sort of community ethos and working on building those relationships at sort of a regional level and making sure that Wrexham is still an integral hub of the community, maybe playing a big role in the sort of gateway project, making sure that Wrexham do get the funding that they need and hoping that the COP renovation, etc. all goes well. But yeah, Sean Harvey, what's happening there? I mean, Peter Moore was quick to sort of distance himself and say it's just an advisory role. I'm just giving a bit of advice and helping the club. But Sean Harvey... Rich, I mean, I, sorry, as, as to interrupt you there, Rich. I've just seen that Skybet have just dropped their odds. No flies on the people over at Sky uh, of who they think is in the running for the rest oh, of manager. Do you, want, do, you want, do you want some names? Um, I will give you. So you said Mark Hughes, right? Mark Hughes is there at sixteen to one. I mean, at, at the at the far end of it, we've got the likes of Darren Ferguson, who would be amazing. He's at thirty three to one. We've got Brian Fergie. We've got Fergie at thirty three to one. We've got Rob Page at 25 to 1, if it all goes wrong with the Euros, I guess. Um, we've got ex Wrexham manager and formerly known as Sammy the Snake, Sam Ricketts, 16 to 1 to make a sensational return. Now, let's get to some of the ones that, that are closer. So, the final one at 16 to 1 is Anthony Barry, who's obviously enjoying great success now with Chelsea, uh, more so than he did as a player at Wrexham. But, but the key contenders, the top four, we've got Mickey Mellon, the Skybet favourite, at 6 to 1. We've got Dave Challoner at Hartlepool, eight to one. Nigel Clough obviously knows Fleur very well at twelve to one, and we've got one Mister Sean Pearson at twelve to one. Now, as much as I love Pearson, I don't want him to be the next manager, and that's that's no slight on him. But I want it's, him playing. I still want a season of him at centre back. Sure, but it, but it, even so, even if, that, if even if he was hanging up his boots, this isn't a job now for a rookie manager. I don't believe. To cut to come in and you know do I mean look at Morel it, it worked in that sense but we we need experience now I think if you can go and get a Dave Challoner Mickey Mel you know Mellon's been up in the football league is taking teams up so Challoner worryingly I know this is a very lazy comparison but reminds me of Mills at Gateshead 
Potentially, but you know, somebody somebody just said text me and put that you know every managerial appointment is a gamble, which which I agree with. But yeah, and there's no the right or home... wrong answer, and no, it's but in the, a year's the... time where you can evaluate yeah. what worked and what type of manager you do want to go for. I know, obviously, when when Salford went up, it was with Graham Alexander, who mm, he's at, he's at twenty to one to, to be the next Wrexham manager. I, I can't see him leaving. Where is he now, Motherwell? But uh, there's Craig Bellamy here at twenty five to one, Chris Coleman at twenty five to one. So not many people. Putting money on Chris Coleman. I just love an exciting appointment, you know. Some <laughs> Harry Kuehl at sixteen to one. I, I just love an exciting appointment, you know. Someone that that will really galvanise the kind of and it's also got to be someone who understands the club, mm, though. It's got to yeah. be someone who understands that DNA and understands that you know we're going in well, to another season in non-league. This isn't just well, something we, where money's going to solve the answer. We've, we've seen done so many, that though. We've seen so many clubs around us though who have had cash injections. But it's taken them years to actually make yeah. it materialise. You know, Forest Green took six was it six years from their big investment yeah. to actually come good. So this is fourteen years, Rich. I mean, we're going in, we're, we're you know if we if we get the next yeah, exactly. appointment wrong, it will be we'll be approaching two decades. You know, if we, a couple more seasons, we'll be closer to two decades than we are a decade. So, you know, you got to look at it and think we're in a win now situation with the owners, and not just because we've got one more season of the dock, and you know, hopefully we have a long time with the owners, but. Real sense that if we suddenly become marooned and and we've done that route, we we had Mark Brian Hughes, we had Yozza come in, you know, we we've had Keats twice. I think we need to. I think a bit of separation from someone who's yeah, emotionally invested mean, in the club I, is yeah. is maybe right. You know, yeah, maybe, I don't maybe mean someone who under, who's, who's a former player. I don't mean someone who, you know, necessarily just lives in the area, but someone who understands what a unique club we are and how intrinsic the fans are with the team. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see this new identity, which which we do have, and I know that the owners have been keen to hammer home the fact that you know the core ethos and principles of the club are going to remain the same. But we're going to be the only team in non-league with bloody LED advertising boards again next season. We 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 are too big a fish for this small pond, but the reality is we're still here, and there's a reason we're still here. It, I tweeted after the Dagenham game that we need drastic changes on and off the pitch this summer. I just, I really have not got a clue who I want in charge because, like you said, we've we've had one of almost every type of manager, haven't we? We've had the ex-players, we've had people who've mm. supposedly been there and done it before. We had Gary Mills who chose us over Tranmere and, you know, we were led to believe that's going to be the answer. I just, I really don't know. And again, it comes back down to what you said before. I just need, I want clarity of who's making that decision. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I want. I mean, that's the main thing I want now. A, a real pyramid structure of how is this being run, you know, and then, and just know that know that we're answering. And and in the modern game as well, Rich, we're seeing a lot of head coach manager. You know, a uh, key differential there because it, you know, who's are they there to coach? Are they there to manage? You know, how much control will this person have? Will they get final say on transfers? You know, if we're led to believe, which we've been told that Dean had names in mind, the you know the likes of reportedly a Brad Walker or an Andy Cook. They were obviously names floated. We don't know 100%. Dean's never come out and confirmed that. But, you know, if, if he was told that we couldn't sign off on those players because maybe they didn't feel like they didn't want to hand out large contracts with Dean going in the summer and, and wiping the slate clean, what, what does the new manager get? Does the new manager get total autonomy? Do they just need the sign-off of Robin Ryan? Do they need to go through just the sign-off of Fleur? Do they need Fleur and... Harvey is he sticking around what is happening 
and I know that we've got you know plenty more episodes of the podcast to, to digest that and I know we want to do a run through of who we think should stay and go and you know that will be one of our future episodes just dissecting this current squad and and who goes and who we keep but there has to be a clear structure a new manager's got to want to come in not just for the notoriety that they can gain for their own profile but as much of what environment are they working in you know they're going to work under huge expectations maybe bigger than before if cash is actually spent which you would hope that more cash will be spent than than has been this season you know talk of players on minimum wage the ones that came in they're out of contract you know people that when we when we signed gold on Mateo Cameron Green Keanu Marsh Brown those kind of players that came in very slapdash last minute after the Kwame injury all we need is a bit of clarity and before I kind of hand back over I'm really getting kind of wedded to the idea now of having someone like Anthony Barry and just using his top flight connections now just to get kind of quality loan players in because I think we're going to still need players to come in on loan as well as much as you know we need to be able to sign players if we're not going to go and shell out say two or three grand a week on a player which I can't imagine we will even with the new owners because I don't think that's the way they want to go about it we're going to need quality loan players you know we're going to need people that are well connected I know Barry's obviously connected to Wigan and connected to Chelsea so you know there's worse ideas I guess yeah it's I like the the Barry principle as well but then you're just starting your own dynasty with Thomas Tuchel at at Chelsea and that's a team also at the start of their exciting journey so it's just a really difficult one I'm I'm sure we'll see more calls for someone like Andy Morrison to come in and and take charge and it must be Craig Harrison and that's the man who's helping him now at Connors Key, ironically. Mm. So, there's... and I've spoke to I've spoke to a lot of players at Nomads. You know, I've got a lot of people at the club, a lot of friends at the club, and you know they cannot speak highly enough of Andy Morrison. And I interviewed him a while ago for for a piece um, in the newspaper, and you know, and he's had a real, real struggle behind the scenes. You know, as, as a backstory, he's, you know, he battled addiction with alcohol, and you know, it's 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 a real fascinating story about how he turned his life around. And yeah, what he's done at Kamaski Nomads is is sensational, you know, it's sublime and, and he's a character that, that the question would be that again the the level of recruitment that would be available to him would would go up considerably in quality. That's no disrespect to the Welsh Premier League, but it, it would go up and it's whether you know, look he's been at Man City, he knows what quality players look like and he he does a lot of work around the top end of the game still with City, so it's. I'm not. I'm not questioning for one second that he can't identify players, but it's, it's just whether he wants to do that. You know, does he want to just keep building what he's building and and go for loyalty, or you know, has he been turned down before? It's, it's a lot of questions to be asked, but it's it's going to be interesting, Rich. It's going to be a fierce debate until we get a new manager in. Yeah, of course. Andy Morrison probably still hung over after he sat next to Liam <laughs> yeah. Gallagher last night in in yeah. Porto, but you know. If we can get a Liam Gallagher concert at the Kairas, then yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. There's so many twists and turns yet ahead. And I guess the thing is that we were never going to go up from the playoffs. Now we've got possibly an extra three weeks for us to plan for the new season. We've already made that first drastic change. Dean Keats will not be staying on as manager. Andy Davis, Carl Darlington, also gone. What lies ahead? Who knows? But myself and Nath will be here throughout the summer, bringing you weekly podcasts still and trying to keep up to date with all the comings and goings of Wrexham AFC. If you're new around here, wow, you don't know what you're in for. This is just another small reminder of this amazing, illustrious club. But the exciting future is still ahead of us. Dean Keats has played a big part of our past. We won't forget that. We won't forget 
the key role he's played. Hopefully he can return to the race course in a few years' time, or maybe a few months' time, and just enjoy it as a fan once again. And yeah, no hard feelings, Dean, but Wrexham have had to move on, and they have moved on. Nafe, thank you very much for joining us on Rob Brown Red this week. Thanks for having me. And thank you once again for listening. We will try and be back again very soon. We've got a special guest lined up. We'll hear more about that on our social media, which is at Rob Ryan Red on Twitter. Of course, you can email as well. Rob, what, what's the email, Nafe? Rob Ryan Red at gmail.com, Rich. There you Just go. Just like that. We eagerly await your emails in later. And yeah, any correspondence, we'll make sure to read that on the next pod as well. But thank you very much for joining us once again. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time it's the 90th minute all your mates are around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order mc delivery now on the mcdonald's app you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans